need you to go to a little book in the Old Testament just before Matthew. <clears throat> it's my, Micah, M-I-C-A-H, C-A-H. Micah's the book that is quoted to, that tells you in chapter 5 where Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. But in Micah chapter 2, so if you go to Matthew and then go left and just go a couple of books back, you'll find Micah. Micah 2 and verse 7. I'm gonna, I want to answer a question that I've been asking myself for a while, okay? And that is, why isn't the Bible working much today? I've talked to you for the last several weeks about what the Bible can do and what the Bible does do and the power of the Word of God, okay? Um, uh, if, if I, I've... I said very clearly, words have power. What you say to somebody can build them up or tear them down. Life and death, the Bible says, are in the power of the tongue. And so words have power, and especially the words of Almighty God. So I want to talk to you about, well, why isn't it working? Is it broken? What happened to the power of the word of God? Now, Micah 2.7 here, and as I said, I've asked myself, and I've been praying and asked God for a long time, why isn't the Bible working much today? I know how it worked when I got saved. I, I, I sat in church, and for the first time in my life, I heard somebody open the Bible and preach like it was true. <laughs> I had been to church as a kid where I basically just fell asleep in my mother's lap, and it was just ritual, and it was dead, and the guy was monotone and really had nothing to say. And so it, it, that, it, there was no Bible in, when I was growing up, but when I sat in a Baptist church and I heard somebody open the Bible and read it and somebody slid up next to me and opened the Bible in front of me so I could read along with them, I couldn't believe it. It was speaking to me. And it, it listen, folks, it changed me. This book changed me. I was glad to meet Christians. I was glad to be in a Bible-leaving church. I was glad, but none of that, the music, the, the singing, just the atmosphere was fantastic. But none of that fixed me. None of that changed me. This book did. Uh, this book has worked throughout history and days gone by with, with things that maybe you've never experienced. It's called revivals, great awakenings, which saved entire nations from ruin. You may not know of this man, but his name was Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday uh, preached in the early 1900s and he preached to over 2 million people getting saved. He would go into a town. They would, they would the, the week before, they would build what they called a tabernacle, which was a huge enclosure in case it rained, that would hold 10,000 people. And people, as he preached, and he called for men to repent, and he called for men to give up the drink and to go home and to get right with their wives, they would come forward and they'd get right with God. They'd get saved. They'd get converted. Two million of them. It was his preaching and the prayers of some godly women all over America who prayed for their nation that got America to outlaw alcohol. It's called prohibition. It was because of preaching. It wasn't because of a pandemic. That's a one good thing of this stupid pandemic, and that is that people can't get drink so easily and aren't drinking as much as they, as they used to. Okay, Now, I know there's still drink going on. But Billy Sunday, through preaching, not through government edict, he preached and he got it so that everybody wanted alcohol out. Um, how about, you've probably heard of Billy Graham. 
It has been said that Billy Graham has spoken to personally in stadiums and on television to over 215 million people. Millions of them got saved. I've met them. I met people in the 1970s and 19, well, I didn't meet them in the 70s, but I met them that in the 1970s and 1980s, they heard him preach on the television or they went to one of his crusades and they heard him preach and just that one hour changed their life and they got saved and they got right with God. Uh, George Whitfield, going back in time, he would go into a field. He was, he was not welcome in most cities because he preached against all the, the, the corruption and all the politics. So he'd go out into a field and he'd start preaching at five in the morning. By six, there would be 10,000 people. These were English fields, 10,000 people all sitting on the hills, listening to him preach the Bible for about three hours. And he had tens of thousands and ultimately millions saved. And it is, it has been said, looking at American history and English history, that it was the preaching of George Whitfield that saved America and saved England from from civil war like we've never known you you wouldn't hear of what was going on in the background that he saved and he's really one of the spiritual founding fathers of america george whitfield uh there's a guy over here these guys aren't well known by most people because history is is something we don't read we don't worry about or whatever but a guy named john wesley john wesley blazed a trail all over america england europe preaching in Europe owes its freedom to these men preaching the Bible. Didn't go around and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, scare tactics with, with pandemics and, and government edicts. No, they preached, thus saith the Lord. Uh, one other guy here, um, he's, this, is, this is an actual picture. Uh, I didn't want to pay for it, so I just borrowed it there. It says Getty Images. Dwight L. Moody was a Chicago preacher. And he first started off just bringing kids into a warehouse by the hundreds and just teaching them Bible lessons, seeing them saved. And these were street kids in Chicago back in the 1800s. And he started a church that grew to tens of thousands. Uh, the number of people who have been, been reached through that church and the number of people, the, the revivals that have occurred, he's come through, he came through Europe uh, and preached. Folks, when, when, when you ignore history and you ignore all the facets of history, especially the spiritual influence of these people on our freedoms, you, you, you miss the fact that the Bible works. Um, all the real, every real personal freedom that we enjoy, we got from Bible preaching. The freedom of, of speech we from Bible preaching. Now, it's almost gone. But the fact that just 20 years ago, you almost could say just about anything without worrying about people being offended. That's all changed now. But that freedom we got because of preachers who said, we must be allowed to say what, what God says. Because the Bible has power. So why don't we see the word of God working in lives today? Why aren't believers today more stable? I'm going to ask some serious questions now. Why aren't we more effective, more fruitful? Why is Christianity so splintered and divided and almost powerless? I know why. Because there's almost no Bible. Oh, everybody's got Bibles, but they don't know it. Why isn't the preaching of the Bible turning our world upside down like it used to? Well, I believe it still can. Let's look at Micah 2.7. Micah 2.7. Oh, O thou that art named the house of Jacob, is the Spirit of the Lord straightened? Now notice that S-T-R-A-I-T, straight means, is it, is it hindered? 
straight means it hard. Is it hard for God to work? Are these his doings and it was going on? Do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly? Now underline those last words. Doesn't my word do good to those who walk uprightly? Now, the reason why the Bible is not doing much in people's lives today is because people are not living right. People don't want the Bible to change them. People don't want to hear the Bible. The Bible do real good if you have the right heart. Remember, Jesus gave the parable of a sower, a planter, a farmer who went and he threw seed on different soils. And the only one that actually produced any fruit was the soft soil, the good soil. Now, the hard soil never received it. The devil came along and just stole away every word and every thought that came. And uh, uh, this Bible says, my words will do good. My words have power for someone who will live right. Let me show you that. Okay. Get here. All right. There's some preliminary things I need to say. Okay. First of all, you, you hopefully you know by now this book is the Word of God. Let's go to Luke chapter 21. Take you through a few pages of scripture before I get to the main message. Luke 21 and verse 33. 2133. The Bible is the Word of God. It's not the Word of men. Jesus says this 2133. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. What a thing to say. I mean, things I say, how long are they going to last? The things that other people write, how long are they going to last? All right. But Jesus promised, he said, my words are eternal. The Bible claims to be the word of God. The Bible proves that it is the word of God. On every page, every prophecy, everything you see, it doesn't make outlandish, stupid claims like everybody wants to think it, it makes. It actually, everything it says, you find out uh, it's true. It's right. I personally found it to be true. I don't know if you realize it or not, but I didn't grow up with the Bible. Um, uh, I had to start from almost scratch when I went to church. And when I got my first Bible there at, at church, and it was a Schofield reference Bible there. And um, I had to start, find out what was in this book. And I, and I just started reading it. I read 10 chapters, sometimes 20 chapters a day. I read it through twice the first year I got saved. I didn't know what was in this thing. I just knew what I read terrified me. I read and read it, 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 it was awesome. It was incredible. But I had no idea what was in this book. And I found out it was true. I got me some Greek and I got some Hebrew. I got commentaries. I started collecting all these things. I got books against the Bible. I got books for the Bibles. I had real books, not internet quotes and quips. I found out the Bible was true, and I've been living it ever since. This book is the word of God. Secondly, it is right. John chapter 12, go to the, go to the right, find John chapter 12. John chapter 12 and verse 47. John 12, 47, and if any man hear my words, these are the words of Jesus, and believe not, well, here's what happens. I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world. Jesus said, I came to save. Okay, so your problem is not going to be with me. Look what he says in verse 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in that last day. How come the Bible judges us? Because it's right. Psalm 33, 4 says, for the, Lord, for the word of the Lord is right. 
I mean, what a simple thing. It's right. It always has been right. and It always will be right. Um, it was right about the human heart. You don't need a psychologist to tell you where your problem is, okay? It's right about our past. It's right about the future. It tells us everything that's coming. It's right about politics. It's right about science, about men, about women, about love, and about the coming wrath of God. The Bible is right. So uh, there's some, we got to settle this thing. There's no debate. I may not fully understand it. We may disagree about what it's saying, but we have to agree it's true. It's right. Third thing, it has real power. Still going, John chapter 15, 15 and verse 7. Sometime you ought to do a search on the, on the phrase, my word or my words by Jesus. And about a dozen times he refers to his words and the power that they have. But here's just one of them, John 15, 7. If you abide in me, that's a choice. And my words abide in you. Okay, what good will it do? You shall ask what you will, and it will be done unto you. Look at that, that closeness of relationship between you say, why didn't God answer my prayer? Well, why don't you pray? Why don't you pray like it actually works? Why don't you spend time instead of just, well, Lord, if you're there, can you imagine that? You see, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you let him have a relationship with you, which means he's the boss, all of a sudden, whatever you pray, God says, oh, I'll give it to you because he can trust you with the answer. This book has real power, life-changing, soul-saving, marriage-fixing, pub-closing, addict-freeing power. The truth makes you free, the truth of the Bible. So why isn't it working? It's the same words, same book, but it has a very different effect. The same gospel that saved me and millions and millions of others throughout history gave me joy. You know what I enjoy? I enjoy preaching. I don't mind if that person is yelling or whispering. I'm never offended when they're yelling, and I'm not worried when they're whispering. What I want to know is, what does God say? And do they believe it? I, I love preaching. I love being at church. I never wanted to be in church before I got saved. Why would you waste your day? But the same gospel that saved me and saved millions of others throughout history seems to be having very little effect today. Have you noticed that? Instead of the world and people in, in general getting more excited about the second coming of Jesus, I'm excited. I mean, I think Christians ought to be more excited about how soon Jesus is coming back, don't you? Well, instead of the world and people in general getting more excited about the second coming of Jesus and even more repentant, People are getting harder and harder towards the gospel and toward anything this book has to say. Why? Well, I'm going to say the, the first thing you need to know, fact number one, the word is working. It's working well, okay? Uh, Isaiah 55. It has always been working. Isaiah 55. Back to the left. Find Psalms. Go to the right. And you'll find a big book, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 11. The Bible is always working. You say, well, I gave a gospel tract to somebody and they just threw it away. Yeah, I bet they, were, I bet they read three words on it and they threw it away. Those three words will haunt them for all eternity. 
well, you know, my, my son used to come to church and now he doesn't want to. I know this, the Bible worked on him. It's how he reacted to it that he'll have to face the judgment for. The Bible is not the problem. Let's, let's look at this. Isaiah 55 and verse 10. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, it doesn't go back up, but watereth the earth. Notice it rains to water the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. All right, so God compares his word like rain uh, to the soft soil. All right, so you got, you got soil that's plowed up, that the rocks have been pulled away, that the weeds have been pulled, and all of a sudden it rains. All right, as the rain goes into that soil, it refreshes, it feeds, and even softens the soil more. Rain also on a hard surface has a different effect. It's a nuisance. It's a bother. It's even deadly. When I was, when I was 12 years old, it was either 11 or 12, I can't remember, uh, we did a, a swap. I think my parents wanted to get rid of me. I don't know. I, I only got the impression later. But I was shipped off to Mexico. We had had a, uh, somebody stay with us for a couple of weeks, and then I went to his house for a couple of weeks. He was down in central, uh, central Mexico, and it never rained there. We're out riding on a horse, time of my life. Beautiful, never, never rained. We're out about a mile from the, the farmhouse that, that I was staying at. I could only speak Spanish, so I was learning Spanish real quick. But we're out, and it starts to rain. And the ground is so hard because it just doesn't rain. It's as, it's, it's as hard as rock-hard clay. And so, obviously, my friend there, he, he starts... For the house, I mean, it's coming down lashing. Well, I, the great horse rider, I hadn't ridden a horse maybe three times in my life, I take off after him. And as we're riding along there, the water on the surface of that clay was as slick as snot. And we came around a corner of a fence, and he handled that corner like a master. Well, me, I had no idea what I'm doing. And I turned that horse a little too tight, and the horse went out. He lost his footing, and he went down that way, and I went this way, and I broke my arm. What happened? The same water that makes soil soft made that soil slick and dangerous. It depends on the soil. It depends upon how you receive it. Look in your Bible. Um, verse 11 goes on. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. It always will do what I designed it to do. It shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereof I send it. Everybody wants God to bless them. But you forget God only blesses those who live by the Bible. Go to Psalms. You're in Isaiah. Go to the left. Find Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the man. Oh, okay. Here's the blessing. Here's the guy who's benefited. Here's the, here's the woman who actually has something good in their life. Look what it says. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the YouTubes, nor standeth in the way of the Netflix, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. That's not their influence. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. You want a blessing? Get into the Bible. Meditate on it. Think about it. Obey it. Um, let's see. Um, the Bible does good to those who love it and live by it. 
Walking uprightly, we read that verse in Micah 2, 7. We won't go back there. It says, do not my words do good unto them that walk uprightly. To upright means that you have nothing to be ashamed of. Now, in the world, so slick. Because today, what everybody does is they get rid of all guilt. They're not ashamed of anything. And that's a hard heart. But if a Christian's doing the right thing, if a Christian's prayed up, repentant, keeps his heart soft, nothing to be ashamed of. You're doing right. You're harmless. You're living like Christ did. You have nothing to be ashamed of. So you, when you live with a clear conscience, that's what Micah's saying. The Bible does great things. But when we're so proud, when we are so arrogant, when we're so hard-hearted, when we are, forget the world for a minute, when we're hard, it doesn't do any good for us at all. Psalm 119, you're in Psalm 1. Go to the right, find Psalm 119. 119, 45. I like this verse. Psalm 119, verse 45. I will walk at liberty. Oh, that sounds like somebody says, ah, I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm going to be free. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's not what he says. He says, I will be free. I will walk at liberty because I seek thy precepts, because I seek to live your way. Because I seek to go by your laws and your rules. Isn't it funny how the world keeps coming up with new rules and new laws? Trying to con control and restrain sin and, and, and people's wickedness and people's danger. When we have the right... It's, the reason why the world keeps coming up and our government keeps coming up with more laws is because they forfeited and they removed the laws of God. If you seek to live by this book, you're freer than anybody who's ever lived any money people ever had have no, not the power that a Christian has when they're living by the Bible. I'll show you one more. Still in Psalm 119, look at 165. 119, 165. You want power? Here's power. Great peace have they that go to church. Doesn't say that. Great peace have they that keep their mouth shut. <laughs> That's what we usually believe. Just don't get in the fight. Just don't get... No, it doesn't say that. Great peace have they which love thy law. There is a power. There is a benefit because the Bible works. But to the hard-hearted. See, the Bible is working good for those who love it. I wonder what it does for those who don't love it. It hardens the hearts. And here's the scary thing. It makes them harder. The Bible actually does that. Go to Isaiah 28. Your Psalms, go to the right, back to the right, Isaiah 28. It is impossible for you to sit in church week after week, month after month, year after year, after year and you stay the same. It is impossible. You either get softer or you get harder. The Bible does it both. You cannot say, well, I'll just go and I'll endure Pastor Craig's preaching. Well, maybe you have to endure my preaching, but you're having to respond to the word of God. And how you respond determines how it responds to you, whether it's joyful or whether it's angering. Uh, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 13. 28, 13. But the word of the Lord was unto them. Isaiah saying precept upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, every word was explained to the Jews. 
here, little, and there, there. It wasn't just overwhelming. That they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. Wait, not that a something? So you'll read the Bible and you'll get offended and you'll walk away from it. That's what it was designed to do. It was designed to upset you because your heart is hard. You see, how you react to me is a little indicator of how you're reacting to God. If Jesus Christ was right here, he'd do a much better job of me preaching. But your reaction to the word of God will be the same. Is it right? Is it true? Is it for me? And how I react to it determines whether I love it or not. And whether it works for me or whether it breaks me. Go to Zechariah. Zechariah is just before Matthew. So if you find Matthew, go to the left. You'll find Malachi. And then the book just before Malachi is Zechariah. Z-E-C-H. Zechariah chapter 7. I talked about this verse last week, but I'll use it again because it is such a descriptive scripture about how we react to God's word. I mean, I've had people walk away from me. I've had people upset at me for years, get offended at me. I understand all that. I, I sometimes offend people. But when you react that way towards the word of God, it's a bad thing. Look at uh, Zechariah 7, 19. I'm in, no, 7, 9. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts. So notice right here, here's God speaking. It's his word saying, execute true judgment. Hey, don't be a bigot. Don't be prejudiced. If you make a decision, make sure it's true. And show mercy and compassions every man to his brother. Quit being so critical and condemning. Verse 10, and oppress not the widow. Take care of the widows. Don't oppress the fatherless or the stranger nor the poor. And let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. Wow. Not just what you do with your hands and with your face, but with your heart. These are all good commandments, right? Look at verse 11. But they refused to hearken. Watch it. They pulled away the shoulder. Mm, you're not talking to me. They stopped their ears that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as a what kind of a stone? An adamant stone. We still use that word today. It says, well, he's adamant that he's going to be doing this. Well, she's adamant that they're not going to do that. Adamant is an unbreakable, uncuttable stone. They made their heart as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit in his spirit by the former prophets. Therefore, because they refused to hear, great wrath from the Lord uh, uh, came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Now, I, I have to be honest with you. God offers a whole new heart to the hard-hearted. You see, even though you may have a hard heart, and there are times when I have a hard heart, aren't you glad that God promises, and you don't have to go there, but in Ezekiel 36, it says this, a new heart will I also give thee. And a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. You see, God doesn't write you off just because you have a hard heart. You're the one writing yourself off. Um, God wants to change your heart. How does he do it? Through the very word that's making you angry. Go to 2 Corinthians 6. Go to the right, find 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. God offers a whole new heart to the hearer of the word of God, as hard as your heart may be. But it's a limited time offer. You ever had that? When I was growing up, 
people would call to the door and say, we've got this Hoover right here. It's a brand new Hoover. Let me demonstrate how it works. But it's a limited offer. Uh, you, get, you get it for this price and we'll throw in this trip to to Bahamas. And if you buy this Hoover right now for 8 million euros, whatever. And, and, but it's limited time. Once I leave, you can't get the offer again. All that pressure on you, you got, you got to, you got to make your decision. But let me tell you, God is offering you the ability to have your heart changed, but it is a limited time offer. It's not going to go on forever. Second Corinthians chapter six says this. Verse two, look at the end of the verse. Let me get there myself. For he, God saith, I have heard thee in the time accepted. When we pray, and in the day of salvation have I helped thee, have I secured thee. Behold, don't put it off to tomorrow. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. So what's the problem? What's the problem with the Bible? Why isn't it working? It works. It's, it's, at, it's at work. I don't care if, if somebody won't let you give them the gospel. They see the gospel in your life. We have people every Wednesday night say, please pray for my family to get saved that's a good prayer to pray but you got to understand they already see the gospel they see it in you see you're different they see you talk different and they're rejecting it and, they're, and unfortunately they're getting harder and harder but god as long as they're still breathing there's hope amen but what's the problem why aren't people getting saved well is there a problem with the bible and the answer is there's nothing wrong with the bible go to psalm 19 Psalm 19 in verse 7. Psalm 19, 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The law of the Lord, uh, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. It gives gives three verses on how powerful the Bible is and how perfect it is. There's nothing wrong with the Bible. You know what the problem is? Bible ignorance. Bible ignorance. The Bible does not work when people have no knowledge of the Bible. People do not get saved. People do not get right. You say, what will it take for my husband to get saved? The Bible. That's why one of the most important endeavors, there are two important endeavors for a woman who's got an unsaved husband. Number one, she needs to live the Bible in front of him, not slam it down his throat. The second thing, get him into church. Get him under the preaching of the gospel. Do you know, up to 100 years ago, almost all of Europe, except for Ireland, but almost all of Europe was filled with the preaching and the teaching and the reading of the Bible. Every town was filled with Bible teaching and reading. But now, people are absolutely and totally ignorant of the Bible and God's laws. Most people are ignorant of what God says about almost everything. I have actually met people who believe that it was Leviticus who got the animals to get on the ark. There are people who believe that the Bible says cleanliness is next to godliness. They believe that Jesus didn't even know that he was the Son of God until he got told by John the Baptist, you're the Son of God. There are people who believe that all religions get people into heaven. And I met people who believe that the worst sins are anger and adultery. They have no idea what they're talking about. They do not know God. Changed lives only comes from believing the words of this book. You do not have any kind of faith. You may have your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith, but you don't have biblical faith without the Bible. Without these words, you'll go straight to hell. 
you can live and die. Somebody says, what about so-and-so that doesn't get a Bible? They're going to hell. That's why we've got to go give them the gospel. That's why they've got to hear the Bible. Because without this book, there is no hope. You say, well, I listen, they may be sincere. They may be sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. They must know Jesus Christ. That's why I started this church 27, almost 27 years ago. I started this church uh, so people could hear. Started the church up in Mallow. We have to keep getting putting scripture out. We have to keep getting uh, giving tracts out. I know people don't read tracts. I mean, it's a wasted piece of paper. I know that. But I still give it out. I still try to get people to read it because people are ignorant. I have to keep preaching. You say, why do you keep doing this? Why don't you just shut down? Pastor, why don't you just take a break? I've got to keep preaching. Because people don't know where they're going. They don't know the, 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 the God of the Bible. We have to keep our doors open as a church. We have to keep inviting people to come and hear this book preached. I didn't get saved the first time I heard it. I sat in church and I was like, I was, uh, I was like being in a, a zoo and I was the, I was a strange animal in that room there. I didn't belong. It, it was like, I, 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 I loved being there, but I everybody in there was different than me. And, and it took eight weeks before the penny dropped and I went, I'm the one that Jesus died for. We have to keep going. I don't care if it takes 20 weeks. Somebody's got to get to the point where they hear enough for them to go, I accept it or I reject it. We have to keep supporting our missionaries, praying for them, keeping them on the field. We have to send out more missionaries. We have to do this. Why? Because people are ignorant. They are ignorant of who God is. And that ought to break our hearts. Some have not the knowledge of God. Paul says that I speak that to your shame because we're responsible for getting the news out. You know, the Bible says in Amos, we're not going to go there. The Bible says there's a famine and it's already here. I believe in the next 20 years, if the Lord doesn't come back, we'll have a real famine. All the things that are going on, the Bible predicts famines like we've never imagined. That'll be physical famine. People will be suffering in, in Europe, in Ireland. They won't be able to get the, the, the lorries over because they'll be empty. But that's just me predicting, just, just watch. But there's a famine already here right now. You know what the famine is? Of hearing the word of God. Amos says there's a, there's a lack of people hearing just what God said. Let's make sure that's not true. If there was a literal famine of people starving and we had food, would we keep it to ourselves? Secondly, it's easy to resist this book. You open up that Bible, does it scream at you? Does it yell at you? Does it grab you and pull you into the page? No, it doesn't. You know, it's easy to close the Bible. It's easy to walk away from it. It's easy for you to switch me off, go to another YouTube. It's easy for you to stay in bed and go, I'll watch the YouTube later. It's easy to neglect and reject and walk away from thus saith the Lord. Hebrews 2, 3 says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? You ever think of that word? It doesn't say... You're not going to heaven if you reject. That's one thing that's true. But it says if you keep putting it off, you go, that's eh, not important. You know, it's easy. It's easy to neglect the Bible. 99% of, of the people of the Western world think this book's just a religious book. It's a book that doesn't need to be read, don't need to know it, don't need to read it. This Bible to them is a still, quiet, small voice in the midst of such noise going on around us. 
who's going to listen to it? It's easy to just walk away from it. You may plead with your parents and try to get them saved, or you may plead with somebody, and they just look at you, and, and without any guilt, with nothing going on, going, oh, I wonder if I should. They'll walk away. It's so easy to do. No wonder the Bible's not working. When, 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 when I was growing up, at least I understood the Bible was supposedly this book of God, not the book of men. I didn't know anything about it. But when a man stood up and preached it, I, I thought I heard God. And it's true. Right now, they just hear, they hear blah, 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 blah. Our, our generation right now, I'm going to talk about our generation here in a minute, but our generation has switched off from God. They have no idea what they're rejecting and neglecting. Somebody once said this, the Bible is boring. And it is to the lost, to the sinful, to the wicked man and woman. And they just, I'm going to walk away. Another reason why the Bible is not working today, and it's not because the Bible is not working, but it's our heart. I'm going to really nail that in a moment. It's because there is spiritual blindness everywhere. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 2. First Corinthians chapter two and verse 14. Now, let me say this. I want to go back to what I was saying. It's easy to resist this book. That doesn't mean that it doesn't have an effect. Like I said, and what I'll say here in just a little bit, you, you may, I mean, I've given away Bibles and people never read them. Okay. I've given away tracts and I know they only read the, the front page. I preach my heart out and people never come back to church. I understand all that. But I know this, it does work. It is at work. Um, I told you about a, a, a biker um, who had a young little 12-year-old girl come up to him, give him a gospel tract, give him half of Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And the guy said, so? And she said, well, there's another part of it. You need to read it's in that tract. And she walked away. And that track, that, that phrase, the wages of sin is death, haunted him for 30 miles down the road. He threw the track away and he had to drive back, ride back to the McDonald's where that girl had given the track and pick up that track and read the last half of it. And he got saved. The Bible works, even though our hearts are hard, even though our hearts are not interested. It is easy to walk away. But I mean, I'm just thrilled that it still is at work. I just want to throw that out there. But let me tell you why people aren't getting saved because they don't want to be saved. There is spiritual blindness that people are content with. You know, we've got a guy in our church that lost his sight there last year. And, um, you know, it just grieves me because, you know what, he wants more than anything to have his sight back. He'd wish for some technology or some operation or something that'd give him the ability to see again. He would give his right arm, his left arm to be able to see but I talked to somebody about God and they're just as blind as can be and they don't care. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. But the natural man, the unsaved man, the man who is the way he is naturally, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. He doesn't receive it, doesn't want it. For they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because He's talking about the things of God in the Bible. They are spiritually discerned, spiritually understood, spiritually enjoyed. So, folks, the Bible's not until people have the fear of God where they say, I need to get saved. This Bible will mean nothing to them. 
And until you really believe this book, this Bible is not going to mean nothing to you because it is a spiritual book that is understood spiritually, not physically. When Jesus spoke about physical things, he was trying to teach about spirit. The physical things were teaching us about things we can't see. Until you hear what he says just even physically and take it, wow, what was that meaning? Which all the disciples always ask. He said, I'm glad you asked. Let me teach you what I was meaning. And it was awesome. The disciples wanted to risk their lives to go and tell somebody the same truth. The reason why the Bible, listen, we've got to get people scared of hell. We've got to get people to understand they're in trouble with God so that when this Bible is open, they want to get saved. Tell me how to get saved. Remember the Philippian jailer running into the prison that Paul and Silas are sitting in? And he says, what must I do to be saved? Isn't that great? Paul and Silas didn't even ask him, do you want to get saved? The man said, what do I have to do? And, Jesus, and, and um, Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We got to get people who want something spiritual in their life. Don't be timid. Let people feel uncomfortable. Another reason is there's a hypercritical spirit. In there. Or laying in wait for him, waiting like a reporter, waiting, seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. They just all they were there was to criticize him. In this day and age, our smartphones, our tablets, our smart TVs, and interconnections are making us the most judgmental people of all time. <laughs> we, uh, this generation finds fault with absolutely everything. Somebody comes to church and they're from another. Usually it's an unsafe person coming to church, sits in church. They think it's the best thing they've ever experienced. But if some church, some Christian from some other church here in court comes and sits in this church, the first thing they're going to notice, oh, you're, you're singing those old hymns. That's the first thing they notice. They come up with the, I have people who email me the most weirdest questions ever <laughs> about the Bible. Find fault with the fact that I'm, oh, go back to America. I've been here 20, almost 27 years, okay? Go back to America. Is that all you got to say? The fact that I preach and I teach from the King James Bible exclusively. I not only use it, I believe it. People find fault with that. They nitpick at every doctrine. I have just about had it up to here how many different doctrines people can argue about. They nitpick at their parents and all the rules and the limits on the Christian life. Nitpick at the foods they're given. I don't like that. You know, when I was growing up, if mom made it, we ate it. If we didn't eat it, we didn't eat. And yet every mom, oh, uh, I forgot. You don't like that. I'll fix something else. We've created a generation that judges everything. Mom, you're not a good mom because you didn't give me what I want. People complain about having only one car, about how long church goes on, about being offended at something they overhear in church. 
And the list will go on and on and on. Uh, go to 1 Corinthians. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Why is the Bible not working today? That is the reason. We are so critical. Now, look, somebody's got an NIV and they're giving the gospel out. I, I praise God. Amen. They're, they're, you can find the gospel in the New International Version. You don't find a, you, you'll find a lot of confusion in there, too. But you can win, you can win people to Christ using a Catholic Bible. There's, there's, there's a gospel in all of these things. But let me tell you this. Everybody's finding fault with somebody for everything. Just shut up. Stop being so critical and start serving God. You know, God will adjust somebody who's in motion. He can't help somebody who's sitting there judging, sitting in the seat of the scornful. So uh, 1 Corinthians, I said, chapter 4 and verse 15. Am I in the right spot? Yes, for though ye have 10,000 YouTube instructors. I love that. That's exactly what he's saying. He's saying, if you have 10,000 people trying to teach you in Christ, yet have you not many fathers, people who actually spend time personally with you, training you. For in Christ Jesus, Paul says, I have begotten you Christians in Corinth through the gospel. Watch that. Watch out how much time you spend on YouTube, because the more you spend on YouTube, the more critical you'll be of me and of other Christians and how so-and-so doesn't do that like this and so-and-so, he still believes that criticalness. I know I'm upset and I know I'm crossing all kinds of lines with a lot of people online because they're watching on YouTube. Watch your attitude because that spirit is killing churches. That spirit is stopping the gospel. When you go home and if you haven't been blessed and encouraged to be a servant, instead you go home and you nitpick and you find fault with your family, then I failed. Because the whole point of that book is to make you sweet, is to make you like Christ, to make it so that you're not hypercritical. There's time to be skeptical. There's time to be, well, I don't know if that's right. But we're too critical. If you spend all your time on YouTube and not assembling with believers like Hebrews 10, 25 commands, then the devil is going to have a heyday with your life. They end up emotionally, people end up emotionally numb towards this book. I know Christians right now who, who just think that I'm stupid and I don't care one second. But you know what I found? They end up, they believe the Bible's stupid. They believe all Christians are stupid because everybody's not like them. You see how that works? So we have Christians who have an arrogant, superior attitude just about everything. <laughs> You hear about the woman who's getting married, so she puts up her entire set of Encyclopedia Britannica up for sale. Somebody asked her why. She said, because the guy I'm marrying says he knows everything. <laughs> yeah. You know what the problem is? This generation doesn't care what God says. They only care about what they can get from God, not what God wants from them. So the Bible does them no good at all. That's the biggest problem of all. I'm working on trying to get people knowledgeable of the Bible and then watching them fall away because they get a, a critical spirit. And people have too cheap of a belief. What do I mean by that? They don't pay any cost to believe. If you ever, when you got saved, if it ever turned back on you and your family got upset at you and 
your parents disowned you or whatever. Now you're talking. But if you just got saved and it didn't cost you anything and, it, and you just stayed at home, you say, well, I get saved, but I won't go to church. Yeah, I'll, I'll take Christ, but I won't spend any time reading my Bible. You have too deep of a belief. You're not willing to go deep into this book and be a student of this book. You want me to feed you. I'm tired of feeding babies. I want some young men and young women, old men, old women, who will study for themselves, who will pick up the Bible. I don't care if you're 15 years old. You ought to be learning this Bible, and it ought to be your life, not pastor, giving you all that. You know, you'll take, you'll make time for maths. You'll make time for psychology class and for for chemistry class and physics class, make time for the Word of God. That's your job, not mine. Matthew 15, 8, you don't have to go there, but Jesus said this. He said, this people, am I on the right one? Yes. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. Why? Because they're not willing to pay any price. They want a little, they want a cheap belief. And so the Bible doesn't do good to somebody who's not willing to get into it and say, I want my life to be changed. I want to be like Christ. I don't want to be like me anymore. Luke chapter 9. I was talking to somebody this morning about this. It's kind of funny how he brought it up. Luke chapter 9. It's in the same context where Jesus said, if any man follow, come after me. He's got to forsake his family. He's got to forsake everything. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He, Jesus, said to them all, if any man will come after me, here's the price. It's going to cost you. This is not what it costs to get saved. This is what it costs to follow and be like Christ. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. That means reject what you want. Take up his cross. The cross was an instrument of death. It'll cost you your life. How often? Take up your cross daily and let him follow me. For whosoever will save his life, you're going to lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what shall I be advantaged? What is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? I'm telling you, if you want to follow Christ, it might cost you everything. But it's worth it because that Bible will come alive and that Bible will change your life and will save your family if you're willing that your belief you're willing to pay for, you're willing to live. The Bible means nothing to somebody who's not willing to do it and not willing to pay the price. We talk about people, well, put your money where your mouth is. We talk about people saying, well, let's, 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 let's show a force. Let's say if we say that we're against this, let's get out there and let's say it. That's what everybody's calling for. Well, God says the same thing. It says, make your faith work. And here's a big one. There's no repentance today. People have a profession of faith. There people, anybody will pray a prayer. That's why prayers are damning. People have a profession of faith, but they don't possess salvation. They've never had a right attitude, a right heart attitude towards God. They never cried out to God at all. They, they said words. Look at Titus chapter 1. Go to the right, find Titus. 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus. Just before Hebrews, Titus chapter 1 and verse 16. <clears throat> Titus 1, 16, they profess. 
here are some professors, not your college professors, but religious professors. Titus 1.16, they profess that they know God. Oh, yeah. But in works, they deny him. You know, that's why it's not, it's not right for a Christian to hand out a gospel tract with a cigarette in their hand. That's why it's not right for a Christian to say I'm a Christian and not come to church, not be in their Bible, reading it, living it. They, in works, they deny him, and they end up being abominable and disobedient. And under every good work, they become a hypocrite. They become reprobate. You know, there's, they, a lot of people have a load of faith, but they have no life. And that's, folks, that's why this book's not working. Because when it speaks to somebody who is a hypocrite, it doesn't bless them, doesn't help them at all. It goes against them, and that hypocrite just becomes more hypocritical. How you react to the Bible determines how you end up. I'll talk about that in a few seconds here. Um, so many people believe in Jesus without ever sensing the depth of their sin. You know, I've, I've known people who got saved when they were six, seven, eight years old, and then when they hit 13, 14, they got saved. You know what happened when they were five, six, seven? I don't doubt that they got saved, but they started questioning their salvation when they were 13, 14, 15, and they were into sin. And then they came to realize, wow, I am a sinner. And they determined, I got to get saved so, or else I don't go to hell. I understand all that. You see, we've got to have the weight of our sin way heavy on us. And that's a good thing. Somebody says, well, which time did you get saved? Well, when you believe. But your belief usually is no good unless you realize Christ died for me as a sinner. And when that sin hits you and that awareness of the almighty holiness of God and you fear God and you run to the cross to get saved, that's when you get saved. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. They go hand in hand. If somebody just believes without repentance, their loss is the chair they're sitting on. Acts 20, 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. They are not the same, but they go hand in hand in, in, in getting you saved. And by the way, Christians don't have repentance. They don't know how to say they're sorry, don't know how to stay soft, don't know how to humble themselves and just work with other people <clears throat> because we're arrogant Where's the repentance today? Where is the, listen, what am I getting at, okay? The reason why the Bible's not working out there and turning our world upside down because it's not working here. Where's the deep sorrow for our sins? Where's the fear of offending God Almighty? Where's the rush to agree with God about our wrongdoings? Where's the desire to become different by the grace of God? I mean, really different, completely different, not a little different, but like Jesus Christ. I've watched people come into this church and they start to change. They start to get excited about the Bible and they start to go out going soul winning, but they won't let themselves change because they don't want to admit their wife's right. They don't want to go home and make things right at home. They don't want to go back to the boss that they stole from for years and go back to them and say, you know what? I took advantage of you. I didn't show up for work loads of times and I took advantage of you. I filled out my form and I said, that I was there when I wasn't there and I took stuff out of the office and I owe you. They don't want to do that. No repentance, but the Bible won't work for them. 
the Bible will just make you angrier and angrier and angrier instead of more like Jesus Christ. No repentance. Now, there's a whole load of other reasons. I've got another six I would talk about, but I got to stop. The truth is something should be happening. If this book is the word of God, something should be happening. We were not saved to just sit here and watch the world go into hell. Scariest truth. You know what the scariest truth of this thing is? You need you to go to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. How you treat this Bible is how this Bible will treat you. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 24. Here's God talking. Proverbs 1, 24. Because I have called, and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand, God says, and no man regarded, did never give me any attention. But ye have set at naught, ye made zero all my counsel, and would none, would have none of my reproof. Didn't want me ever correcting you. Then I will also laugh at your calamity. You laugh at me? <laughs> I will laugh when you get in trouble. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, as a ruin, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you. Say, where is God? How come God's letting this happen to me? Verse 28. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early at that time, but they shall not find me, for that they hated knowledge, didn't want to know anything from me, and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They wanted none of my counsel, and they despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. You, you walk away from the Bible. Then when you're in trouble, you say, God, help me. And the Lord says, oh, I can't hear you. You say, God's cruel. No, God is a lot like you. And the moment you humble yourself, said, I don't want to be like me anymore. God says, I'm here now. So what do we do? What do we do, Pastor? You painted a pretty bleak picture of why God's word isn't working in our lives. How do we get it so the Bible works again? How do we get it so we experience the power of the word of God in our life and in our home, that when we read it, it actually resounds in our ears like it's talking to me? Well, I have to ask you this. If, if, um, if you want this book to work on your wife, if you want this Bible to fix your husband, if you want this Bible to fix your kids, if you want this Bible to fix this nation, let it work in you first. Let it work in churches first. Ireland does not need more politicians who claim to know what they're doing because they don't. Ireland needs more Bible-believing, more Bible-preaching, more God-fearing churches. That's what Ireland needs. If there's anything I wish I could do, it'd be to start another church and then to start another one, and then to start another one. Why? Because we don't need more politics. We don't need more money. We don't need anything but God, and it's only going to come from his word. So yield. That's a wonderful word. It just means do what Jesus says do. I went to the dentist two weeks ago. Mask on. It's kind of funny how to take my mask off there. How do you keep your mask on at the dentist? I don't know. But I went to the dentist, and guess what they told me to do? Sit in that chair. You know what I did? I yielded. Open your mouth. I opened my mouth. And then they said, so how's things going? <laughs> Don't they all work the same way? 
but you yield. You're driving down the road and a little light starts blinking behind you. And you realize, it's a Garda. What do you do? <laughs> do you drive off or do you slow down and yield? You know, we'll yield to all authority, but we won't let God have authority over our life. Allow, if you start, if you will just, when you come to the Bible, you say, Lord, you speak, I'll do. All of a sudden, I guarantee you, this book will come alive. There won't be words on a page. It'll be a voice in your heart. No matter how hurtful the words may be, um, no matter how humiliating, no matter how much it might cost you to start living the Bible way, it might cost you your time. Yeah, it will. Now, all of a sudden, you have to put priorities, reading your Bible, praying, going soul winning, spending time with your family. Like the Bible says, it might cost you your job. I'm not going to, I am not, if I work somewhere, I am not going to sell pornographic magazines. I'm not going to sell drink. I'm not going to sell cigarettes. There are things I will not do, and it might cost me my job. Amen. But I'm willing to do it. Folks, don't be so critical. Well, I have to get a job. Well, the Bible's just an old book. Oh, I've already read my Bible. All of these things that are arrogance, that are in the midst of God's people are killing us. Just do what this book says do. And all of a sudden it works. Let me tell you, it works. Final verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 in verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, For this cause also thank we God, Paul says, without ceasing. I can't stop thanking God because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, you received it as the word of God, which... Underline these words, circle these words, highlight these words, effectually. Put the word powerfully in your mind. Effectually worketh also in you that believe. When you believe it's the word of God and you let it work in you, it will work effectually. It will have effect. Father, right now, I ask that you would take the thoughts about us and how far away we are from letting your word work. It's working, and I've seen it work hardening people's hearts. I don't want to see that anymore. I wish that there were a generation of people who'd say, I'm tired of being hard towards the God. I want to hear the wonderful words of life. I want, when I read the Bible, to it be a time where I hear the voice of God and I hear his will and I hear his wisdom and I hear help and I hear encouragement and I hear, yes, reproof and correction, but it's, it's something I yearn for. So, Lord, I'm choosing right now today. So whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. Lord, I'm not going to use the Bible to be critical. I'm going to use the Bible to be changed, to be like Jesus. If there's anybody in this room and in this um, online service here who has spent their life arguing with you, sitting back, resisting and neglecting everything you said to them. Today, I pray, would be the day where they say, I'm finished, I'm tired. I'm not going any further away because the scariest thing is the farther I go away from God, the harder it will be for me to get back. No more days of resisting your Holy Spirit. I surrender all now. I want to get saved today. I cry out to you now as a sinner. Please save me. I can't pray for you, dear friend, but I can 
tell you, that's all you have to say. Dear Christian, would you say, Lord, please work on me. I want you to fix my home, but you got to first fix me, and I'm going to let you fix me. There's only one person changed, saved, living right in my home. It's going to be me. And I know that by that, it will then work on my family and my nation. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.